This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 37, Shannon Box. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with 2012 London Olympic gold medalist, Shannon Box. All of it is just to create this passion for the game. And as parents, that's what you want your kids to do. And, and it's encouraging them um, and being positive no matter how the game turns out. Because at that level, it's not about winning and losing. It's about enjoying themselves out there and, and learning the game. Shannon shares how being a multiple sport player through high school helped her be successful in soccer along with stories of growing up in a competitive household that included her sister Jillian Box, also a gold medalist in softball. She also talks about playing soccer on AYSO teams, the club level, at Notre Dame, and on the national team. Shannon, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Shannon Box is a current member of the United States Women's National Soccer Team, fresh off a gold medal winning performance at the London Olympic Games. Shannon grew up in Southern California, where she was a four-sport athlete at South Torrance High School. She played her college soccer at Notre Dame, where she won a national championship in 1995. In 1999, Shannon began her professional soccer career playing for the Boston Renegades of the W League. She then had a brief stint playing abroad in Germany and returned to play in the new Women's United Soccer Association, better known as the WUSA. In 2003, Shannon was named to the U.S. women's team, which was on its way to the 2003 FIFA Women's World Cup. Since joining the women's team, Shannon has won three Olympic gold medals, often playing in the position of defensive midfield. In 2005, she was a FIFA World Player of the Year finalist. Shannon, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. I'm happy to be here. So, Shannon, you, um, you grew up in Southern California, and I've, I've read that you played soccer, volleyball, softball, and basketball at South Torrance High School. And I think today a lot of people would say that somebody really needs to specialize um, in one sport earlier to achieve the kind of success that you have. And I'm curious what you would say to those people um, when they talk about specialization. Um, I, you know, I've heard that a lot as well, and I, I wouldn't change the way I grew up. I think it was really important for me to play a bunch of different sports because I just think that my athleticism grew. Um, you know, I think with soccer, it's if you specialize only in that, you're not going to get better at certain qualities. I mean, I think by me playing softball, hand-eye coordination just made me that much better as a soccer player. So I think it's really important to try to play. I mean, I always tell younger kids and their parents to have them play as many sports as they can because, honestly, I didn't know soccer was my number one sport until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And until then, I was playing a lot of different sports, and I think it's really important for them to gain experience in a bunch of different things. It gives them a break from one sport as well. Um, you yeah. know, you talk about burnout. Um, I never burned out because I was constantly moving from one sport to another, and I had something fresh and new always going on. Um, but, you know, it is a lot harder nowadays. Coaches want you there year-round. So I get the complication of trying to play a couple different sports. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we hear so much about specialization and burnout, and I just I love the fact that you were able to to play multiple sports all the way through high school. So was it not until college that you actually specialized in just one sport? Yep, it wasn't until college, and even there, I, my senior year, I actually almost played for the softball team at Notre Dame. So Amazing. I think that yeah, and I think overall, I just became so much more athletic, and I understood the game, and it, it just I think it's very good to be a well-rounded person, and that goes with sports as well. That's great. So, um, so I saw a video of you, video of you talking about some of your earliest days of playing soccer. Um, and I think you, you played for an AYSO team that had the name Purple Rain. Um, and I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about the foundation um, that you feel like playing AYSO soccer provided for you. When I moved to the South Bay area, South Torrance area, um, AYSO was the, you know, number one program in the area. And, and as I grew older, I realized how big AYSO was over the entire country. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my mom put me into that immediately because I, before that I was playing with an all boys team mm. where I lived before they didn't have AYSO at that time. And, um, she had me with an all boys. So it was really fun to kind of come into South Torrance, realize that I could play on an all girls team, um, and, and just grow. And it, it's such a great organization because it's, it is about enjoying yourselves, um, you know, my friends have their kids in AYSO now, and I go and watch games, and it's about teaching them. It's about everybody playing every, you know, everybody gets to play. Um, you're you're teaching them the basics, and uh, I think it's just a great organization, you know, that's throughout the, the year. And uh, I'm very happy that I was able to be a part of it for two years before I moved on to the club ranks. That's great. So I think one one of the things that really makes AYSO unique is that I think almost 100% of their coaches are actually parent volunteers, and same with the officials. And I'm curious if you have any specific advice for parents who are, you know, whether it's in soccer or other sports, who are actually signing up to volunteer to coach their kids. I think it's great, first of all. I think that's the way it should start. You know, I think that um, it gives them a chance to be out there with their kids um, you know, and, and be able to teach them. I think at the young level, when it is parents coaching, I, it's just so much fun just to have them go out. They don't even need to know the game that well. It's just more about letting the kids have fun, throwing a soccer ball out there so that they get the idea of what it is. Um, but all of it is just to create this passion for the game. And as parents, that's what you want your kids to do. And, and it's encouraging them. Um, and being positive no matter how the game turns out. Because at that level, it's not about winning and losing. It's about enjoying themselves out there and, and learning the game. That's great, really fostering that passion for the game. I love that. Um, so, so I know you have a sister, um, Gillian, who actually won a gold medal at the 1996 Olympics in, um, in the, for softball. And pretty amazing um, gold medal family you have there. And in, inside the Responsible Sports Program, we talk to parents about really providing sort of unconditional support for their kids around their sports experience. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what your mom did um, to support you and to support Gillian, um, you know, and, and to basically help you get to where you guys both achieve the pinnacle of your sports? Yeah, you know, I, a lot of people ask me, you know, who is my inspiration uh, growing up? And obviously I, I say both my sister and my mom. My sister, just for being that role model that I could look up to, uh, you know, when we were younger, we didn't have too many female role models at the time. And my mm-hmm. sister being four years older than me, I just followed in her footsteps. I wanted to do whatever she did. I mean, mm-hmm. it, all, the, all the way to when she won the Olympics, I was like, oh, wow, if she can win one, I could probably win one too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I also talk about my mother a lot and the inspiration that she was. She was honestly the backbone to both of my sister and I's success. 
mm-hmm. in sports. And, you know, I know this goes back to the question before of what can parents do. It's, it's honestly, it's to guide and support your child as much as possible. And I think that my mom did that. She never pushed us um, to do one thing or another. She, she allowed us to pick the sport that we wanted to pick. Mm. Um, she was very positive with us, uh, very honest with us too. I mean, you know, I remember games where I didn't play that well. And as I got older, she was able to be more honest at the beginning. It was just about being positive. You, you worked hard. That's great. You know, yeah, and yeah. as I got older, I really trusted her opinion of, yeah, you didn't play that great today, but you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that, she never, ever pushed us to a limit that we couldn't handle. And I mm. truly, so you know, like love the fact that she just guided us in the way that we wanted to go and, and encouraged us to fulfill our dreams. That's wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm curious more about, so Gillian, I didn't know she was four years um, your senior. Were there specific things that she did um, that you feel like contributed to your success in soccer or in sports, certain things she was role modeling that you really tried to, to do? And then was there an element of competitiveness between you guys when you're both such fantastic athletes? Yeah, that competitiveness started, I think, from the day we were born. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that you you can take away from our personalities is that we're very, very competitive. We have this competitive nature, and my mom talks about it a lot when she gets interviewed of just how, from the very beginning, she noticed this competitive nature in, in both of us. And mm-hmm. the weird thing was, even though we were four years apart, we competed with each other so much, and she didn't quite understand why we did she thought we were at an age difference that that wouldn't happen mm-hmm. but we did we competed mostly for her love I think mm-hmm. and uh you know it's a joke between us now um you know the the number one daughter is the one with the most accomplishments and <laughs> achievements and even though we just joke about it, it I mean when we were growing up it, it seemed so real like oh you know mom loves me more because I've done more things, you know? And, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, we, we definitely have this huge competitive nature. And I think for me, um, Gil, just being that older sister and, and doing the things that I love, I mean, going out and watching her play. I mean, I remember her playing softball and me just watching and every time she'd get up in a, in a, serious position where like you know the team needed to win and she was the last batter up I mean I was scared to death like it was amazing how much as a young kid like I really wanted her to do so well and I think it's the same thing for her with me you know she has been my number one inspiration going into my first Olympics you know her comment to me was just enjoy it have fun um me going into college you know making sure hey, you're going because you, you love playing soccer and you're going to get a scholarship, but make sure you love that school. Even if you got hurt and you couldn't play soccer again, would you still want to go there? I mean, just the advice it's that really she's given advice. me throughout my life yep. is, is amazing. And I, you know, I eat it up as much as possible because she, I definitely respect her and she's continued to excel in what she does now. And it just really amazes me that, you know, both of us, I think when we want something, we go after it wholeheartedly, 100%. Yeah. Um, besides sort of uh, getting to watch each other and going to her games and sort of giving you that advice before you went to your first Olympics, are, are there other things that you think siblings can do in particular um, to support each other in sports? I mean, I think it's no different. I mean, siblings aren't going to get along all the time. And my sister and I, I don't think, you know, we respected each other as as sisters and as athletes and but we didn't get along at all until I think she went away to college so mm-hmm. you know I, definitely there's going to be that sibling rivalry but it's I think just that overall support and, and love that you still are going to have no matter what being your sister and 
Um, I don't know if there's any real, you know, I don't know. I don't think that there's something that's always right or wrong. But um, for us, even though we didn't get along, we still wanted the other one to do extremely well. So then it made it very easy to cheer for her or her for, to cheer for me, even growing up uh, when we used to just want to beat each other up. Yep, yep. Shannon, I'm having I'm having a small world moment because many years ago you guys were playing against Japan at, in San Jose um, here in California, and I actually met Gil um, with with some of your family members waiting to go into the game, and she was so excited to watch you play. Um, and it was just it was a it's who would have known all these years later that we'd be on the phone together. So small small world moment. It um, is a small world. Yeah, I want you to think back for a second um, about your experience at Notre Dame. Um, and maybe you could just tell the audience sort of how you ended up at Notre Dame and then having that experience of, of knocking off sort of the, the perennial powerhouse in UNC um, en route to your national title in 95. Um, talk to us a little bit about that and your experience at Notre Dame. Well, you know, I, I knew um, in high school, even though I played in multiple sports, that's kind of when I realized soccer was my best chance to go and get a scholarship at a, at a four-year program. I'm having a single mom uh, who, you know, worked countless hours. I mean, didn't have the funds to send us to a four-year. So she told us, you know, if you want to go to a four-year, you're going to have to work hard to get a scholarship. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we both obviously did that. But, you know, when I was there, a lot of my options were in California. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame was my first official visit. Mm. And I fell in love with it instantly. Just the beauty of the school the fact that it was actually away from home, I, I really felt like I needed to go away from home to grow up. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the tradition of Notre Dame mm-hmm. and in the soccer program was just building. It was getting better and better. There were a couple California kids that were there that I was like, okay, wow. You know, and I talked to them, how was it going away from home? And they said it was great. So that was my first official visit. Every visit after that, even though I went to some amazing schools, they just never compared to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. for some reason. And in my head, I, I knew exactly where I wanted to go and um, where I wanted to, to try to be successful. And so I picked Notre Dame. And that first season was amazing. I, I came in, had no idea if I was going to you know, play a lot of minutes or if I was going to sit the bench, but just uh, went in and, and worked hard. And um, I ended up starting, but I started as an outside mid. Mm. And that wasn't my position for forever. But I didn't care. I just wanted to play and to be on the field. So I chose, you know, he's like, how about outside mid? I was like, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be on the field, I'll take it. And I had that mentality and that attitude uh, throughout the four years that I was there. Um, And then, you know, that team was, I look back and I think about how cool that team was. We weren't the best individually, Mm -hmm. I think, with talent. You know, I, I look at my four years there and as my junior and senior year, the talent was amazing. And I think that that freshman year, we just learned how to play together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so important is that you don't have to have the the number one players on every single team. It's how you work as a team more than how you work as an individual. And mm. the team comes first. And I think in that year, the team came first. And it showed. I mean, we fought through and maybe we weren't the best team but as players, but we were we, in the end, we still won and we we won a national championship. So I'll always remember that team for just the tenacity of, of players working hard together and, and having a common goal. That's wonderful. Was, was there anything in particular that you feel like your coaches did to sort of bring out that team mindset? 
I think in the middle of the season, we weren't doing very well. Um, I'll never forget, we were actually in Texas at a tournament, and we were playing awful, and our coach pretty much ripped into us a little bit and was like, you guys need to figure this out. This is your responsibility as a team to figure out how you guys can start winning. Because, you know, we weren't losing games. We just weren't playing well, and he knew that. And. So I remember getting yelled at and then him leaving. And as a team, as players, we sat in there and tried to figure out what we needed to do as players. Mm-hmm. And we turned it around. And by the end of the year, we were winning. That's awesome. That's awesome. So so tell us a little bit about the transition um, from playing soccer at Notre Dame to then being a professional. And, you know, you've played in a lot of different professional settings. But what was that transition like? Speed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, definitely different. I mean, every level that you go to, uh, the number one thing that changes that you notice instantly is the speed of play. Mm-hmm. Um, from high school to college, college to professional, um, is the speed of play and having to make decisions a lot quicker. And I think that, you know, I tell a lot of young players, the number one thing that you can do is watch games. Mm-hmm. Because the more you understand the game, the better that you're going to be able to process things a lot quicker as the game gets faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the biggest transition. And obviously, uh, you know, you got to improve your fitness. Um, you have to, in, you know, improve um, your strength um, just because the level is, is that much stronger and faster and harder. Yeah. Um, so you have to be able to sustain that. So those are kind of the big differences. And, and were there specific challenges of, of sort of living and playing abroad when you were in Germany? Yeah, definitely. I, I went because I still had the passion to play after college, and I wasn't good enough to play on the national team. And, I, and um, you know, but I still wanted to play. And yeah. I went over there for the experience of living in a foreign country, um, maybe learning a new language, and, and obviously playing soccer. And it's challenging, but a lot of fun as well. Um, I learned a lot by going over there. I learned a lot about myself. And um, there were definitely hard times when I was over there of the communication between coach and player and not understanding why I'm not playing anymore, you mm. know, starting and then not starting. Um, but I think I grew up a lot by by having that experience because, you know, you have 18-year-olds on that team. You have 16-year-olds on that team that are from Germany. Mm. And then you have some older players. So it was cool to kind of see that mix. Um, but, yeah, I think being abroad ended up being a little more. I missed home and after six months decided to come back and maybe hang up my boots. I'm glad you didn't. Um, so, so, so one of the things um, that we, we tell responsible coaches is that their job is much bigger than just sort of coaching kids to be successful on the field. Um, that's really about larger life lessons that kids will take away, you know, long after they stop playing soccer or softball. And I'm, I'm curious if there are specific coaches, you know, even, you know, youth, high school, college, professional, national team um, that you think do a really good job of this. And what is it that they do um, that you think really makes them stand out at, at being sort of more of a, a life lesson teacher, not just sort of a soccer, um, you know, trainer? Hmm. Good question. Um, I, when I look back and say, you know, who kind of started that process for me is, is, was my club coach. Um, I played for Torrance United. Uh, so I played AOSA for two years and then moved into club when I was 10 and our coach was a dad. Mm. And back then it was, that was still pretty normal. You know, now you have trainers, you have higher level coaches, but, um, he was a dad that, you know, loved the game. And I thought he taught me the game 
tremendously. But it was also the things that we learned off the field. And I will say that, you know, I had the same coach for eight years Mm. and the same team for eight years in club. And he taught me so much about life. And I think you just have to realize, you know, one thing I think he did so well is he said, look, it's important to be here at training. It's important to do that. But he still said your education is the most important thing. Your family is the most important thing. Soccer is important, but it's only one out of many things. And Mm -hmm. I think he did a great job of balancing that for us and Mm -hmm. teaching us how to balance that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he wanted us to train and we had to train hard, but he also realized there's moments that I need to give these guys a break so that they can do other things. And if we had homework that we needed to finish, he said, then don't come to practice. Mm. So it kind of, he kind of had that balance. And I know that that's hard to do now. You know, coaches are in a hard position of, you know, having to win to keep their players. And I think you just need to try to find that balance of, hey, these kids also have to learn other lessons besides just being a good soccer player. But um, I will say that soccer has taught me leadership. It's taught Mm -hmm. me commitment. It's taught me um, to be confident and it's taught me to work hard for something. So I think that you can learn a lot of these lessons by being at practice and being on a soccer team. That's great. Um, so, so one of the other things we talk with coaches about is um, this idea of if you're a responsible coach, you teach players to honor the game. And um, I, I'm curious, especially in the defensive midfield position, part of that position is being physical. And I'm curious if you feel like it's possible to be a physical player, but also you know be a clean player who honors the game. I mean, that's huge to teach. Um, and being a defensive midfielder, you know, I've prided myself on being tough. And, and even when I coach kids, I teach them to be tough and I teach them to go, don't be afraid to go into tackles, but to also be safe for yourself and for other players. And it's the spirit of the game. I mean, soccer, you look at the spirit of the game and it, it should be fun. Um, and I hope that that's what I kind of pull across. I hope that's what coaches pull across. But you can be physical without being dirty. And I think that if coaches can teach that difference, then they're doing a great job and they're honoring the game. That's true. Um, you do that very well. So, so I'm curious, um, you know, in, in 2003, when April Heinrichs called you up to the national team, um, you, since that time, you've had the chance to play for, you know, April and then three more coaches since then, I guess most recently, Jillian, Ellie, um, Jillian Ellis. Um, and I'm curious if there are um, certain lessons you've learned about having to adjust to play for a new coach and you have a team you've been together and suddenly you know Pia Suntaga is there or you know you're making that shift and certainly youth players high school players they have to make that adjustment from one coach to another coach and there are certain lessons there that you could um, impart to our listeners yeah I think it's great I mean I, I think that there's no one way to to teach the game of soccer um, there's so many components to the game and there's so many different ways to learn. I mean, I love the fact that I've had multiple coaches because I've been able to take the best things from each one mm-hmm. and bring it into my own game. And um, I think that's important. I think it's important to hear different voices because something's going to resonate with one player better than another thing. So um, I've, I've enjoyed the fact that I've had multiple coaches Um, I do think that that transition period is a little bit of a scary moment, you know, because you don't know how that coach, um, what that coach thinks about you as a team, as a player. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that all you can do is be true to yourself as a player and continue just to do what you do best. 
And and if you focus on that, your coach, that new coach is going to see that and is gonna, it's going to portray over to that coach. So I think, honestly, if, if for any advice for a player is to just continue to be yourself out on the field. Don't worry so much about what the coach is thinking, mm-hmm. especially when they first come, because they're going to sit back and they're going to watch you and they want to see what you do best. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's also important to um, embrace a new coach. Because it's going to be really fun to uh, hear something new. You're going to learn something new from this. I think it kind of it's hard when you have the same coach your whole life. Um, you you might be missing out on something that maybe they don't know as well as somebody else. So right. I think it's really important. I mean, I'm going to start coaching when I'm done, and I think you know I always teach that it's great for to hear some new voices. Yep. I'm glad to hear you're going to coach when you're done. That's wonderful. Um, so I wanted to ask you specifically about the recent Olympics um, where you were battling the hamstring injury. And, you know, I think many of us were really happy to see you make it back for the final. And is there certain advice you could give coaches about how do you keep a player who is injured involved with a team and, and motivated? Because a lot of players, when they get injured, you know, they get depressed. They don't feel connected. Um, so what can a coach do to, to keep an injured player um, involved? I think a coach can continue to communicate with that player. Um, it doesn't have to be on an everyday basis, but even just checking in with them every once in a while, be like, how are you doing? Um, you know, or I've heard, you know, kind of following along on their treatments a little bit. Um, you know, I know that the coach has, you know, 18 other people they have to be responsible for, but it's nice to know that you're not just forgotten um, when you're injured. Uh, I think that, Pia did a great job. The coaching staff did a great job while I was at the Olympics. But to be honest, it was about my teammates. And mm-hmm. my teammates made me continue to feel like I was a part of that team. They continue to say, you're still a leader, mm-hmm. even off the field, and continue to speak to us and continue mm-hmm. to, to motivate us on the field. And I focused on that. I focused on my recovery when I was you know, away from the field. Um, but when I was there at practice or when I was – there at the game, I mean, my focus is about my teammates, and that kept that kept me involved. Um, so I, I definitely thank my teammates so much uh, during that Olympics because it could have been very easy for me to feel bad about myself and and be depressed that I wasn't, you know, playing when when I could have been, and mm-hmm. all because of an injury. So I think that's huge for a coach to do is to just make sure that that player isn't forgotten and. Uh, kind of keep them motivated a little bit to say, hey, you're still involved with this team. Mm-hmm. That's great. So so I'm curious, um, from, from a player's perspective, being on the team, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to play against a team like Japan versus a team like Colombia? Well, you just got to look at the differences of, of the opponent. Um, you know, Japan is a very uh, technical uh, team-oriented team. I mean, they, they're not going to have a player that's literally dribbling through your entire team. They're going to pass around you, you know, mm-hmm. and they're going to combine around you. Uh, just the respect that we have for a team like Japan because of their technical ability. Uh, and then you get to a team like Colombia, who they're one of the Latin teams, so they're very good individually on the ball, and they're going to do some amazing things individually. And mm-hmm. so you have to kind of be aware of that. So you have to change the mentality of how you defend them. Um, mm-hmm. Columbia is also going to be a little bit of a tougher team. They're going to be stronger and more physical. Mm-hmm. So it, they, there are a lot of differences that you have to just make sure before the game you're aware of, hey, 
for a team like Colombia, you know, I'm going to need some help defending. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to put myself in a one V one situation because they're so good on the ball. So that means that we need to cover for each other mm-hmm. where, you know, in, uh, against a team like Japan, you need to focus on team defending as far as your entire unit, because if you go out there by yourself again, you're going to get combined against. Yep. Great. So I just have one more question for you. Um, in, in 2007, I know that you publicly announced um, that you have lupus and Sjogren's syndrome. And I was curious sort of what motivated you at that time to sort of come forward and make this public. And are there certain things that you really feel like you would like all coaches and parents and, and potentially athletes to know if, if they are involved with someone who has this diagnosis of how to support them? Um, you know, because clearly you're such an amazing role model to have, um, you know, dealt with these things and still performed at the highest levels of your sport. Um, so I just wanted to give you a second to, to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I, I was diagnosed in 2007, but I didn't actually state it out loud pretty much until this, this year, 2012. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, lupus obviously is an autoimmune disease that attacks your own, um, you pretty much your own self and, uh, joint pain, uh, fatigue, extreme fatigue, uh, muscle pain, and then obviously it can obviously attack your organs as well. Um, every every person with lupus is, is different, and I have been very blessed that so far uh, mine's a more mild case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a, able to do the things that I've been able to do for so many years. I'm able to continue to play soccer, even though I do have um, bouts of what we call flare-ups, where days that I can't get out of bed, Mm. Um, and I have extreme joint pain where it hurts to, you know, open a bottle or Mm. step down from a car. Um, Mm. I definitely have those moments, but I think for a coach and, and anybody that has lupus, I think that they need to understand that this is a very unpredictable disease. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to be able to predict the day that you have a good day or a bad day and you're going to seem normal at moments, you know, Mm. and that's the thing is lupus, um, people with lupus don't look sick. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't look sick that have lupus, and, and they'll go around and, and act on most days or some days like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But it's when those flare-ups occur, and those flare-ups can last a day, two days, months, years. Mm-hmm. Um, they are struggling with these things. And I think for – I know that I've talked to a bunch of other people with lupus, and, you know, it, it's hard for them when they're at a job and they're extremely fatigued and explaining what extreme fatigue is, is, oh, they're just tired today. They didn't want to come to work. No, mm. they're having a really bad day. They can't get out of bed. That's mm. the fatigue that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. um, I've definitely talked to a couple coaches now that, you know, hey, I have a player that has lupus. It's just really trying to understand the disease um, and supporting that player because it, it's so much nicer when someone else understands it as well that mm-hmm. you could say, you know what, I'm not having a good day today, and they will understand that, and they will say, okay, let's take it easy today, or maybe, you know, you don't need to train today. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have that support, um, yeah. especially if the player is a young player. And, and just if they can learn as much as possible about the disease as well, it'll also help them. They may be able to actually notice a player not feeling very well before that player notices it. And then they can actually help them so that it doesn't get to the level that it could where they're out for three or four days. Maybe they stop them in the middle of practice and say, you know what, you're, you know, you're not looking very great right now. Let's, let's have you rest. And yep. maybe they can cut those bad days in half. Yep. 
Well, I think I think it's been really brave and wonderful for you to sort of come out and talk about this and, and help inform people because this is how people learn. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today, um, both to share with me and then all of our responsible sports listeners. Um, I really think that a lot of the things you you brought up are going to help a number of whether it's parents or coaches or student athletes. And uh, just want to thank you and congratulate you again on the gold medal in London and just a wonderful career. Um, so thanks again. Thank you so much, and uh, obviously thank you to AUSO for continuing to bring uh, soccer to uh, the U.S. You bet. Thanks, Shannon. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music. <laughs>